Thank you for joining us once again. This is the Reverse Show, and I wanted to kind of introduce you to my old self. Back in the day, we had a nice little show going on in almost 2009, 2008, 2010, and we had a plan on the radio and everything, and subhanAllah, Qaddar didn't work out because of the um, financial situation that the message was going through, they weren't able to back me up all the way through, even though we started, you know, a little, a little nice thing going, but things don't always last, alhamdulillah, we're back at it again, and we have a show going right now, and this show uh, went on for at least six months or so, it was um, airing every Friday morning around six, rush hour traffic, alhamdulillah, have people listening we're still potentially able to do it again but we're gonna just need the help of the community the help of the listeners the help of the Muslims inshallah khair it's all for the good it's all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either way now when you're listening to this show please uh, pardon the mistakes pardon the pauses pardon all that stuff but the content is very good, mashallah. The guest of the show was an amazing brother. He's still around. Inshallah, we'll do some shows with him soon. Right here for the podcast only. And we'll probably do some stuff with him also on YouTube and, and whatever um, platforms that are, are out there, inshallah, as well. The information is amazing. The effort of these brothers... And this community is beautiful, mashallah. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless me, you, and everybody who are working towards a better world. As a Muslim, we have to be working toward a better world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the strength to accomplish that. Allahumma ameen. Please enjoy the show and contact us if there's any... Um, concerns or questions you have the information is in there some of the information is um, outdated and some might still be available in existence Allah knows best the name of the show here now is the revert the name of the show before was um, Islamic waves um, and inshallah soon maybe we'll be able to get back on the radio and you know, contact and communicate with everybody who still listens to the radio. Allahumma ameen. Guys, enjoy the show, and uh, we'll see y'all in the next episode. Peace. Assalamu alaikum. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is your boy Abdullah, once again, right on the Waves of Islam show, brought to you by the Tawheed Center of Detroit. This morning, we have, a, um, we have a special guest with us today. His name is Kamal Abu Mu'adh out of uh, Ohio State. His brother, I've known him for a while. And I remember knowing him when I was a little kid too. And uh, now that I know him when I'm a little older, subhanAllah, I uh, uh, hope that I have uh, known him better back when I was younger. But alhamdulillah, now I have a good relationship with him that he's actually on my show. Sitting here 
um, ready to talk to us and uh, uh, discuss with us a few interesting things that he has for us. Brother Kamal, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing t- today? Alhamdulillah, I'm fine today, my brother. Alhamdulillah. Coming from Ohio, did you find any hardship or Alhamdulillah it was good? No, Alhamdulillah, it was all good. Uh, we left and it was raining hard and I was thinking to myself, I hope inshallah Allah make it easy and then a few minutes later, by the grace of Allah, the rain stopped so the trip was uh, uneventful. MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah. Um, for those listeners uh, out there, the show is a pre-recorded show and uh, uh, we are not live. So if you uh, happen to be listening to us right now, um, you may go online to uh, org. That's www.masjidtawheed.org. You can leave us an email, you can call us, um, you could try to contact us any way you want or even come to the masjid if you feel like it too. Thanks again for tuning in and here we go with the questions to Brother Kamal. Brother Kamal, please uh, identify yourself, uh, yourself, please identify yourself and tell the listeners who you are and uh, what your background is uh, as far as being a Muslim or not being a Muslim as far as you know where you come from or whatever Bismillah okay. Bismillah Alhamdulillah Salatu Salaam Ala Muhammad Wa Ala Alihi Wa Ashabihi Wa Sallam Ismaeen Mabad In the name of Allah verily our praises and gratitude belongs to Allah we praise Him and seek every kind of help from Him I uh Alhamdulillah, have been Muslim for actually the vast majority of my uh, adult life, and actually I've been Muslim longer than I've been living, in terms of the on the equation thing. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, longer than I've been living, that doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been Muslim longer than what I was lived as my life as a non-Muslim. Mashallah. Uh, I embraced Islam in my uh, early twenties and. That was approximately about 30 years ago. Um, and prior to that, uh, actually, as I've mentioned, uh, I actually didn't have a religion before Islam. Islam is actually the only religion I've ever practiced. Uh, prior to Islam, uh, as a young person, I was searching. And, uh, and that search eventually led me to Islam. But that's perhaps another story another time. Yes, yes. Uh, but alhamdulillah, uh, my embracing Islam actually came on uh, the hands of a friend of mine named Abdul Rahim, who now lives in Sacramento, California. And we used to have a, a lot of discussions about Islam. And uh, one day he uh, loaned me his Quran, and I read Surah Yusuf. And uh, it was the most beautiful thing I read in my life. And uh, I decided then that without doubt this was the truth and uh, I needed to make the transition to Islam. So Alhamdulillah, this is really what uh, brought me to Islam uh, was through discussions with some brothers and with beginning to read the Quran. Uh, Because reading the Quran was for me a very different experience from having read the Bible 
because in the Bible I found uh, actually many contradictions, many things in the Bible that just didn't agree with me as a person and just didn't add up. Uh, for example, I found uh, many stories in the Bible whereby they were accusing many of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, many of the prophets of Allah the Most High, of indecent behavior. For example, they accused Noah, the great prophet of Allah, Noah, that after the flood that he became an alcoholic and that he fornicated <laughs> with his daughters. Oh, man. And I read, I remember reading that in the Bible as a teenager. And I, and I put the Bible down and I thought to myself, something is really wrong here. Something is wrong. Yes, indeed. And I remember some of the other stories I read, like uh, in the Bible, for example, they had the story of Solomon. And they mentioned about Solomon, alayhi salam. They oh, said, peace be upon him, that Solomon had been given great gifts by God that no one had ever had before him. And then they mentioned, they said at the end of his life, after mentioning these great gifts he had been given by God and that God had granted him wisdom and so on, then they mentioned at the end of the story of Solomon in the Bible, they said that he married a pagan woman and that he began to worship idols with her. Allahu Akbar. And I, wow. found, and I found this to be something unbelievable. So I began to think that there was something seriously wrong with what I was reading in the Bible and I couldn't accept it as being... Uh, purely the Word of God. And of course, we know that the Bible partially is from God and partially is the writings of men. And I found problems with that, so that led me to look elsewhere to try to find the truth. And that search eventually led me to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And alhamdulillah, I've been Muslim, and the idea of being anything other than a Muslim has uh, never occurred to me from that time forward. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, beautiful. Um, you are listening to the one and only 1440 AM WDRJ, the Waves of Islam show, brought to you by the Tawheed Center of Detroit. This is your boy Abdullah, and we are interviewing Brother Kamal Abu Mu'adh out of Ohio State. You're from Toledo, right? Exactly. Toledo City, all right. So uh, tell us about a question or answer this question for me why do Muslims insist on telling people about Islam and why do they push it what is the thing that is uh, giving them this push inside of them that they seem like they have to tell somebody about Islam Alhamdulillah you know actually there are a couple statements from the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him uh, that really put this into focus the first statement that occurs to my mind is he said, Sallallahu Alaihi peace be upon him, convey what you know from me, even if it's one ayat, even if it's one verse or sentence, convey what you know from me. And this is one of the foundational matters related to dawah or calling to the religion of Allah, that we are actually obligated to share what we know from the Prophet, peace be upon him, to the rest of mankind. The uh, second thing that occurs in my mind, there's a very long, beautiful uh, narration about Ali ibn Abi Talib, the cousin and son-in-law of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And I'm not going to mention the whole narration, but I'm going to mention that which is most relevant to our discussion. 
And which the Prophet وسلم, peace be upon him, he said to Ali, he said, uh, invite the people, invite them to Islam, and know that if Allah were to guide one man on your hands to Islam, it would be better for you than all of the red camels of the earth, or as the Prophet وسلم, peace be upon him, said it. Now, this is actually a very interesting statement because here the Prophet is letting Ali know the great value of sharing Islam with the people and the great value of someone embracing Islam through your efforts. And the red camels were actually the most valuable commodity for the Arabs in the desert. Mm -hmm. The camel was a valuable commodity and the best of the camels was the red camel. So that would be similar to someone saying today, if someone were to embrace Islam on your hands, it would be better for you than all of the breast Mercedes Benz and mm, the Bentleys, uh, the the Bentleys and the Porsches and the Jaguars, <laughs> etc. It would be a similar type statement to put it into perspective for how we see things today. Yes, yes. So the value is great. The third thing is talking about the, that, uh, the, the value of sharing Islam with someone. Uh, it actually becomes like a multi-marketing system. Mm -hmm. Because one time there were some poor people who came to the Medina. And the Prophet ﷺ, peace be upon him, he said, he made a call for the people to gather up some sadaqah or charity for these poor people. And this occurred at a time when the Sahaba, when the companions were having a hard time themselves. It was very economically depressed for them also. Just like so, today, huh? Just like today. Uh -huh. So when, when you're doing good, it might be easy to give charity. But when you're having a hard time, it becomes a little bit more difficult. So the people didn't rush to give the charity like they would normally do because of their own hardship. So one of the companions, he got up and he went into his house and he went and he gathered whatever he could and he went and brought it to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he set it in front of him. When the Prophet, وسلم, peace be upon him, saw this, he smiled. And when the people saw what this man did and they saw the reaction of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the people got up and they began rushing to their homes and they gathered whatever they could, food, clothing, etc., to bring to the Prophet, peace be upon him, so that he could distribute it to these, tour, to these poor people who had just arrived in Medina. Then the Prophet, وسلم, made a very famous statement. He said, whosoever intercesses in a good cause shares a part of the reward of whoever follows him in that good cause without diminishing the reward of those who follow him in their good cause. And whosoever intercesses or intervenes in establishing a bad cause shares a blame in that bad cause of whoever follows him in that cause without diminishing the blame of those who follow him. So one of the things we can understand from this, therefore, if we encourage someone to do a good action, then when that person does that good action, we get a reward every time that person acts upon that good that we initially encouraged them to. So therefore, what about the one who encourages someone to become a Muslim? Mm -hmm. And then that person, in fact, embraces Islam by the guidance and grace of Allah. Then, therefore, the good deeds that that person does from that day forward, the one who invited them to Islam 
will get a share in their good deeds in terms of rewards. So it's kind of like multi-level marketing because, you know, multi-level marketing, they have the thing where you join the corporation, and I'm sure everybody's been to those, at least one of those seminars in their life. Mm -hmm. And you join the corporation, they say, well, okay, this is how it works. If you bring in 10 people, every time they make a profit, you get a percentage of their profit. Yes, sir. Well, it's the same way with inviting someone to Islam. If someone becomes Muslim, then their good deeds on the Day of Judgment, you get a share of their good deeds on your account. Uh, without them losing any of their own proceeds. Yes, so sir. it's a win-win situation. MashaAllah. Beautiful, man. I like that. And I really appreciate you explaining this. Uh, the reason why I asked this, um, number one is that because uh, of the uh, show, the show's uh, concept, our format here uh, on the Waves of Islam show, alhamdulillah, is to basically bring to the listener the true ideology of Islam, the true methodology of Islam and what Islam teaches correctly because we have so many different um, mediums and means of, uh, of bringing uh, the uh, information to the, uh, to the listeners and to the public. And lately it has been uh, given to the uh, listeners and to the public in a wrong way. A lot of it could be just mistakenly, uh, not intentionally, you know, to try to give the wrong idea about Islam. And some, uh, I would definitely have to say, that has been uh, given out uh, about Islam wrongfully uh, and intentionally. Um, now, the uh, thing that uh, we hear on, uh, the, uh, on uh, the Waves of Islam show... We're here to clarify all the misconceptions about about Islam. We're here to um, take away all the wrong ideas and all the uh, uh, incorrect news that has been spread about Islam. So the people out there, uh, even though they don't want to become a Muslim, they just would know about Islam correctly. And that way when they're sitting down talking about Islam or they're hearing about Islam, they have the idea and the correct idea they have the correct idea about islam in the back of their heads that way when uh, you know when somebody says something wrong they could say you know what i know this and i know the the correct information that islam uh, really preaches and teaches so alhamdulillah um, we are very glad uh, to have people like yourself uh, giving us information and uh, clarifying and and giving uh, detailed information about why we actually are here on the radio to give information and as well we are seeking the blessings and we are seeking the um, the satisfaction from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us on this path and uh, keep us going uh, with this uh, inshallah uh, you know good intention uh, that we have currently and forever uh, after inshallah now, uh, we want you to tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, Brother Kamal, and uh, what is it that you do uh, in Ohio or outside Detroit? No problem, inshallah. Uh, currently, I have a um, Dawah program, or you might, as they might call it, like a Muslim chaplain service in the prison system in the state of Ohio. I currently visit three different uh, facilities. Uh, Two of them are close uh, security facilities, which is 
uh, like one step below maximum security. And uh, one of them is uh, a medium security facility. Well, actually, to correct myself, actually, it's really five facilities because two of the facilities, the two close security facilities also have minimum security facilities attached to them. So it really boils down to really five facilities, two close facilities, one medium, and two minimum. And uh, I have a, we have a program whereby we have the uh, Juma service in the, in the institutions. We have uh, study classes, and uh, also we do some outreach to the non-Muslim prisoners. Uh, pretty much, I, we try to focus on, uh, in addition to teaching the concepts of belief, but also trying to encourage the uh, people to uh, modify their behavior and to take on the Islamic behavior, the noble Islamic behavior. And in reality, in this society, they have uh, treatment programs where they call them types of uh, behavior modification, uh -huh. whereby you have a behavior that's undesirable, and you try to train a person to develop the desired, socially desired behavior. Well, in reality, this is something that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did uh, over a thousand years ago. Uh, and if we look at the journey of Tabuk, the Prophet وسلم, was on a journey one time, and they traveled through the land of the Prophet Saleh, peace be upon him. And this land is a land that Allah had destroyed the people for their wickedness. And when they were passing through that land, the Prophet told the people, he said, do not cross through a land in which Allah has destroyed its people except that you cross through it crying or weeping. And so some of the companions were very sensitive and they immediately began to weep and some of them immediately began to cry. And some of them didn't because, you know, sometimes we have this kind of like man macho thing, it's hard for a guy to cry kind of thing. So yeah. even some of them had this. Uh -huh. So they said, O Prophet of Allah, what if we can't cry? He said, force yourself. So they forced themselves and they also began crying. This is really the foundation of behavior modification. You have a behavior that's the correct behavior that should be done. It might be difficult for you. You force yourself to do it anyway until that noble behavior becomes uh, natural. Uh, I remember uh, one time, this was maybe about 10 years ago, at one of the prison facilities, there's a lady that was working there as the staff psychiatrist. And uh, this particular time, I had a little downtime, and I went into the little, this little staff break room area, and I went and got me a bag of popcorn, popped it in the microwave. And she was sitting in the staff break room, and she said, uh, Imam, can I, brother, can I, you know, ask you a few questions? I said, sure, go ahead. She said, uh, I'm curious, you know, what kind of things you do. And I started explaining what, what I do. And she said, you know, I just came back from a psychiatric uh, conference. It was a national conference on psych psychiatry. And, and, uh, and there was a guy at the conference that presented a research paper. And he came to the conclusion, this psychiatrist, non-Muslim psychiatrist, that the most successful program for treating 
drug addiction or alcohol addiction was for the person to become a Muslim. Allahu Akbar. And she Allah said Allah. she was amazed at that. Now, of course, this guy's research paper didn't get any airtime. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but this was a non-Muslim psychiatrist, and this is the conclusion he came to, that the most successful treatment program for people with drug and alcohol problems was for them to become a Muslim. And many of the people in the prison environment are indeed uh, coming out of backgrounds of being drug abusers, alcohol abusers, and so on. The second thing that she said that was very interesting to me, she said the second reason why she was asking, curious about what I do, and she wasn't curious to become Muslim. She just was curious, like, how this thing works. Because she said, she said she noticed over the last few years, she said there could be a guy, and he might be one of the worst inmates in the prison, one of the worst guys in the prison, whatever you can imagine behind that. Right. And she said, and then in some case, and then this guy becomes a Muslim. She said, within a year, it's like he's a different person. Of course. And she said that that's just was amazing to her. And so she was just curious what kind of things we do because how is it that you take somebody who is the worst of the worst, and then within a year, you know, or so, or even less, or even less, right? They, they're like a different person. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you an example. Uh -huh. I'm gonna give you a personal example. There's a brother, Rahimahullah Taala, who was on death row. Because death, the death row facility was at one of the prisons I go to, and then now they recently they moved the death row somewhere else. There was a guy on death row who uh, came to service. I had a separate service just for the guys on death row, and uh, I didn't know anything about him. And uh, he started coming. He didn't say much. And alhamdulillah, after about a month or so, he became Muslim. MashaAllah. And uh, what, what happened one day, he was talking to me, and he was telling me about how he ended up in prison. He had been in prison for like, like 12 years or 11 or 12 years or something like that. And they let him out. And he told me, he said, this was before he ended up on death row. He told me, he said, they let him out of prison for the benefit of the institution. For the benefit of the institution. Right, I know that sounds weird. He told me, he said, they let him out of prison because he was a gang leader in the prison. Uh -huh. And he kept so much confusion going in the prison. They let him out of prison because he, they couldn't control him. Allah, wow. Yeah, really, I didn't even know they had such a thing. And, I, and when he said this, I started laughing. I thought he was lying. And there were like three or four brothers sitting there, and I noticed I was the only one laughing. Uh -huh. So he's like, and the, the brothers that were sitting there, so they knew him from before. He became Muslim, and when he, before he went out, and before they basically kicked him out of prison is what it amounts to. Uh -huh. They couldn't handle him anymore. They, they couldn't handle him. Enough. They kicked him out of prison. <laughs> so these guys, they were looking at me. They said, brother, he's serious. We were there. That actually happened. And so I got quiet. I'm like, wow, that's deep. So anyway, uh, he came back. He came back to prison with like 50 armed robberies and two murder charges after he got kicked out of prison. Oh, the second time he came yeah, back. He came that. back. Two arm, 50 armed robberies and two murder charges, and they sentenced him to death. So about a year Maybe a year and a half after he became Muslim, the time actually came for him to be executed. And he came to me one day and he said, Brother, uh, I'm going to the death chamber. 
Allah wow. He said, would you come with me? Uh-huh. And I thought about it, and I said, okay, all right, I'll go down with you. So we go down to the death chamber, which was in a different prison. Uh, don't ask me why, but they, they had some kind of thing they decided where they would actually put them in one prison and execute them in a different prison. There's something to do with the psychology of the staff or something. Uh, the inmates. I, I don't necessarily want to go into that. I don't even know if I totally understand it, but that's the way they do it in Ohio. Right, they got that thing, huh? Right. So I go down to the other prison, and by the way, the other prison where the death house is is the same prison he had got put out of the last time. Uh-huh. He got kicked out kicked of. Out from, huh? And I noticed a lot of the staff down there were looking at me funny. And uh, this one guy, he came to me, this one staff member, he came to me, and I was in the, in the staff dining room, I was eating some fish sandwiches. And he came and sat down by me. He said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He said, why are you doing this? I'm like, why am I doing what? He said, do you know who this guy is? I said, yeah, he comes to my services all the time. He said, no, 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 no. Do you know how this guy is? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he went into some stuff basically saying the guy was like, Everything. He mentioned everything. Everything negative that you could think of. The whole nine yards. The whole nine. Because he knew him from before. Right. So he was telling you about what he was. Right. And like, why are you trying to help this guy? And I said, well, wait a minute, man. Hold on. I didn't know him then. Correct. Uh, All I know is how he is now. Yes, And the person you're describing is not the person I see. Right. Who he was, not who he is right now. It's not who he is now. Uh Uh-huh. I said, so whatever you're saying, your experience with him is not my experience with him. That's so right. I don't, I don't know him like that, and that's why I'm here. That's right. Uh, so this is when, uh, uh, so these kind of things, when you, when you see, uh, when you see, to me, when you can work with people and you see like change in their life, uh, it has, it has its own reward. You know, mm-hmm. so and and when you, you know, work with the people, alhamdulillah, and people come and they and they listen for a while and they embrace Islam, alhamdulillah, it has, honey, it has a, a, a psychological reward for me. Okay. Of course, yes. Uh, so I, I really uh, enjoy doing what I'm doing. And as you mentioned, one of the things you want to do in this program, not per se just tonight, but in general, is corrected misconceptions. You see, I really believe, I really believe from the bottom of my heart that if somebody, I don't care who they are, if they will actually just take the time out to listen to what Islam is actually about and to do a little research about the religion of Islam, that maybe they may or not, maybe they might become Muslim, maybe they might not. But at the very least, they will leave that time with respect for the religion. Correct. Uh, And so I think that everybody really owes it to themselves to uh, at least investigate what Islam is actually about and not get caught up into the hype and the rhetoric that we hear in in the mass media or even to some of the hype and rhetoric that we might hear from even some Muslims who might be uh, confused because uh, every group has its people who are confused. We don't have a monopoly on that. Correct, correct.
So tell me one thing. Were, were you sitting there when he uh, when they took him out? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, I was there. I mean, but it's kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's not uh, dramatic. It's uh -huh. just they do the lethal injection. The injections. Uh. Yeah, the lethal injection. So they, they strap them to a table, and then they give them a series of three shots. And, and uh, then he mentioned, he mentioned the light of Allah. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah, that's yeah. beautiful, man. Yeah, alhamdulillah. We, in fact, uh, uh, we uh, we prayed. Uh, they they let us pray together right before uh, he was executed. We made, I think, Wallah alam. I think we prayed. Uh, I don't remember if it was Duhar or Asr together, right so, before the execution. Uh, wow, this is an amazing story, man. So, Rahimahullah, uh, may Allah be. Do you remember uh, what the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him said about the person that dies? When uh, w w with the last words, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. The Prophet Wasallam, he said, oh, He who dies with his last words in this world being La ilaha illallah, that there's nothing that deserves to be worshipped but Allah enters paradise. Uh, but yeah, Alhamdulillah, I was, you know, there and trying to remind him to have good thoughts and to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end. And uh, I hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah is merciful to him and grants him the Jannah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he accepted him as a as a Muslim and he accepted, accepted his uh, repentance. Because also Allah, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa mentioned something about whoever repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after a bad uh, time, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will pl replace all his bad sins. Right. Into good deeds, and we mentioned that last week, subhanAllah, with the brothers that we were um, interviewing as well. So, subhanAllah, man, um, Islam is, is for everybody. Islam does not discriminate and does not, um, uh, you know, uh, give some and leave some out. There's always a way out for everybody. If, ever, if anybody has, uh, you know, has even stress, you, you hear about all this depression and all this stress that people have. And, uh, you know, uh, you find that there's a lot of people that think that the only way out is death. But honestly, you know, I tell everybody that the only way out is Islam. And to take Islam into consideration, if you have any kind of problems, take it to Islam and Islam will have the problem-solving material for you. Or the problem-solving tools for you. Islam, you know, Islam... Is the way of life for you know all mankind from uh, being a newborn until the day you die, and beyond that, Allah Subhanahu wa mentions to us everything that is going to go on you know in the grave and after the grave and the hereafter and the hell and the and the uh, paradise and we ask Allah Subhanahu wa that He grants us paradise. I mean, all of us uh, Muslims and those who are not Muslims. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they are shown the uh, the right uh, uh, guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they follow it. I mean, uh, once again, if you are just tuning in, this is your boy Abdullah on the uh, uh, Waves of Islam show brought to you by the Tawheed Center of Detroit, um, www.masjidtawheed.org, uh, www masjidtawheed.org right here on 1440 AM WDRJ once again we are interviewing brother Kamal 
Abu Mu'adh from Toledo, Ohio, telling us a little bit about Islam and a little bit about what he does in um, calling to Islam. And uh, I hear that you have a uh, uh, another activity that you actually are doing outside the prison, brother. What, what is it? Can you tell us a little about it? Alhamdulillah, uh, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we uh, began working on a project actually earlier this year. Uh, one of the problems with uh, people coming out of prison is a lot of times there's a lot of adjustment issues. And this is actually whether or not the person is Muslim or non-Muslim, many of these issues are shared in common. As I mentioned, uh, a lot of guys in prison, they, uh, they come out of a background of using drugs, alcohol, etc. And while in prison, many times they're able to get away from these problems, but then when they get out of prison, the, the environment that they go back into many times is an environment that will pull them back into their previous behavior. Uh, and even, unfortunately, many Muslims also fall victim to that. Uh, so uh, some of the brothers impressed upon me the need to develop some sort of program to provide uh, housing for Muslims that need housing coming out of prison and to be there as a support base for them also in terms of emotionally, uh, socially, and so on for their transition back into society. Uh, and in reality, man, you really wouldn't, really wouldn't believe maybe sometimes the type of environment a lot of these guys come out of. I'm going to give you an example. There's a young guy that was in the prison uh, and uh, I was talking to him one day while he was, he's out now, but I was talking to him in the prison one day. He had recently became Muslim. And I asked him one day, I said, well, why are you in prison? He said, well, I'm here for selling drugs. And he's a young guy. He was like about 18 or 19 years old. And he told me, you know, I was selling drugs. And then he mentioned that, you know, he was living with his mother and he was selling drugs and he used to hide his drugs from his mother. So I said, well, yeah, I can understand that you wouldn't want your mother to know where you kept your drugs. He said, I, he said, brother, I don't think you understand. I said, well, what is it? He said, if my mother knew where my drugs were, she would use them all up. Oh. Yeah, oh. exactly. I thought she would whip them or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, his mother was a crack addict. Wow. Right. His mother was a crack addict. And, and he was trying to keep away from the drugs. He was, well, he didn't want her smoking up all of his drugs because uh. she would kill his profit. <laughs> he didn't mind if she bought it from him, maybe. Uh, no, he, he was trying to keep it away <laughs> okay, from her. Okay, good, 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 good. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of these young guys are coming out of homes where the, uh, the mothers are on drugs. And unfortunately, or the reality of it is, a lot of them are coming out of homes where there's no father. Maybe in some cases they don't even know their father. I remember one time I was uh, sitting with a group of young brothers. And out of curiosity, I asked them, I said, uh, uh, how many of you know your fathers? And maybe about half of them raised their hands. But I know I, don't, I didn't just mean like know a name, but I mean actually know him. 
Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe about half of them raised their hands that they knew their fathers. And then I said, well, how many of you have a actual relationship with your father? And maybe about out of that half, maybe only about half of them raised their hands. So a quarter of everybody in the room was right. having a relationship with their right. father. Then I asked him, well, how many of you uh, actually knew and had a relationship with your grandfather, one of your grandfathers? Almost nobody raised their hand. Wow. So this is a, uh, this is a, a, a real problem that a lot of the youth have that are, are in prison today is that they they have come out of an environment where they didn't have um, any consistent male supervision in their life, and uh, and and in some cases their mothers were on drugs, in some cases maybe their mothers weren't on drugs, but uh, contrary to public opinion, uh, a woman it's very difficult for a woman by herself to actually raise a man. Yeah, that's right. A man needs a man to help raising. This is just the reality of it, uh, uh, of the situation. So a lot of the young guys, they, they, they gravitate towards, uh, street gangs and things of that nature because that, uh, fills the void in their life. Right. Uh, there's another young man I know that, uh, came to prison at the age of, uh, 15. Uh, he came to adult prison at the age of 15. And what happened with him, um, his mother was a drug addict, and he got involved with a street gang. Actually, he's from Detroit. And the gang took him to uh, Ohio to uh, work in a, a drug house. And uh, while working in the drug house, something went down one day, and there was a shooting, and he ended up shooting some guy over some drug money or something and he ended up in prison uh-huh uh but this is the this is the this is their reality okay and then many times when these guys get out although alhamdulillah they became muslim in prison but now in terms of where they what what comes next so many times when they come out their, their reality is that uh if they're going to come home they might be going home to a house where drugs are being sold or consumed or whatever. So it's not really a healthy environment for them. So oh, it's not a healthy environment for them. So uh, uh, that's why we started this project. And uh, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we were able to recently purchase a building that has uh, three uh, townhouse apartments in it. Each apartment has three bedrooms. Uh, and right now we're in the process of uh, renovating the uh, building. And we hope, inshallah, by Allah's grace and help, support, to have the place renovated by uh, somewhere early next year. Uh, so that we can uh, start uh, taking in uh, uh, people coming out of prison. Now, uh, it's going to be a faith-based program. It's a faith-based program, as they would call it. However, we cannot exclusively only take Muslims because that's, uh, according to the you know laws of the land, that would be discrimination. Right. But uh, we, we want to try to... Uh, 
be there for the Muslims and uh, if there are if there are non-Muslims that decide they would like to come to our program, we will accept them, but of course conditionally that they abide by you know the rules the, the rules of the house. Right, right. And what would be the rules of the house? Well, I mean the the the, the main thing. Uh, I mean, I guess in terms of for the uh, for the non-Muslim, I guess you know we can't tell him he has to go to Juma or something right. like that. <laughs> But uh, for a non-Muslim, if if he decides to come there, then of course you know you know uh, you know no uh, substance abuse. Uh, you can't have, for example, a girlfriend in his room. Uh, if he has company, they you know people can come visit him, but we don't want you know people being a you know what I'm saying a party like a party visit, house. Huh? right right a party visit oh yeah uh, and, and in general you know we you know to uh, abide by whatever conditions the also the state has placed on them because generally they come home with some sort of uh, conditions in their release so you know we want them whoever it is to abide by also whatever conditions the state has upon them and as far as for the Muslims coming out, in addition to that, we would have a somewhat higher expectations, you know, that they would, uh, you know, attend Juma. We want to uh, uh, establish a uh, small masala somewhere in the building and, uh, and to try to get them to network with other brothers so that they can, you know, be in a... Uh, uh, an environment that will be conducive for them making the uh, transition from practicing Islam in the prison to practicing Islam on the street. Yes, sir. Jazakallah khair. Thank you very much for your uh, input. Um, once again, for you uh, listeners out there who are just tuning in, um, this is your boy Abdullah. This is the Waves of Islam show right here on 1440. WDRJ Detroit. Um, we thank Brother Kamal for joining us today, telling us a little bit about his organization, his uh, uh, job that he does going around prisons telling people about Islam. And uh, I have a question now that just popped into my head when I asked you about the rules and regulations of the house in particular for a non-Muslim that's coming in. It's kind of um, uh, unique that when we say um, there are rules for the Muslim, for a Muslim, and those rules, we automatically say, um, you know, not having women, not using, uh, not abusing drugs, or not using drugs, period, unless it's uh, drugs that are prescribed for an emergency purpose and all that stuff, but there are characteristics for a Muslim that we went over uh, in the past weeks uh, with the listeners, but I want you to maybe go over that, and things that are um, expected by a Muslim, and is usually expected by a normal and a respectful person that doesn't necessarily have to be a Muslim, characteristics like, you know, good manners and truthfulness and all that good stuff um well i mean if i if i understand actually what you're asking uh the the muslim is 
required to have a high standard of behavior in general. Correct. And uh, when we read the Quran, actually, the Quran really in many places describes the qualities of the Muslim or the qualities of the believer indeed. And for example, Allah mentions in the Quran, in the beginning of the Quran, uh, in the beginning of Surah Baqarah, which is actually the second uh, surah in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions that this book is a guidance without doubt for those who have uh, a taqwa or those who are aware of Allah, those who fear Allah, those who are mindful of Allah. And then Allah goes on after that in uh, describing the, the qualities of the believers. And one of the qualities that he describes is that they are those who believe in the unseen. Right. In other words, they believe in heaven and hell. They believe in God. They believe in the day of judgment and so on. And this reminds me actually of a uh, narration from uh, the mother of the believers, Aisha, anha, may Allah be pleased with her. She said that if the first thing that Allah had revealed to the Prophet وسلم, had been don't fornicate, don't use intoxicants, and so on, the people would not have obeyed Allah. But the first thing that Allah revealed to the people were the uh, mentions of paradise and hellfire. And so that later when Allah began to reveal about the prohibitions, the people were ready to obey Allah. And this is one of the really overriding qualities of the of the Muslim because the Muslim believes in the day of judgment. The Muslim believes in reward in the hereafter and that that reward is directly connected to um, his efforts in this life. Now this might be maybe uh, I, I want to make sure it's clear because there's a couple of statements from the Prophet peace be upon him that some people without knowing better, might think them to be a little contradictory, but actually there's never a contradiction between any statement of the Prophet, peace be upon him. One time he said, uh, no one enters paradise except by the mercy of Allah. And the Sahaba, the companion, said, even you, O Messenger of Allah, he said, yes, even I will only enter paradise by the mercy of Allah. Now, this is because, in reality, the reward of paradise is so great that there's nothing actually we can do in this life that will equal that value. You see, in this life, like for example, if someone hires you and they say, listen, I want you to do a job for me. I want you to paint this room or I want you to put a new roof on my house. And you could think about the effort involved, the time involved, and so on, and say, okay, well, I think for my effort and time and my skills, it's worth such and such amount of money. And you agree with that person on that money, and they pay you, and everybody's happy. They get the job done, and you feel that you've been adequately compensated for your time. Mm -hmm. But regarding the rewards of paradise, they are so great that it's impossible to do a work in this life that will equal the reward of paradise. Now, with that being said, then what is the connection between the works we do in this life and paradise? Well, entering the paradise itself is by the mercy of Allah. But the place that we obtain in paradise is according to our deeds. So we will rise in the paradise in levels depending upon our deeds. So the Muslim, therefore, understanding that 
he has aspirations to get a good reward in hereafter. And at the same time, he has a fear of falling into the punishment of the hellfire in the hereafter. Uh, and I, it's very, there is a very uh, profound ayat in the Quran that if we ponder upon it, it should have an effect upon the heart. And actually, Allah mentions in a few places in the Quran about a tree in the hellfire called the tree of Zakum. A Zakum is a tree in uh, the hellfire, and it is a tree of fire. It has roots deeply, deeply embedded in the fire. And the one who comes near that tree in the hellfire, the fire of that tree is so intense because we know fire sucks air. It creates like a vacuum. The, the vacuum coming from the heat of that tree is so intense that it will snatch the skin from the faces of the people who come near it. Wow. And their skin will f come up, be snatched off their faces, and it will lodge itself upon that tree. So when we think about the fire, then therefore it should be a motivation to avoid sins. And when we think about the paradise, it should be a motivation to do good. So therefore, in the Quran, Allah uses both methods to encourage the Muslim to do good and to discourage him from doing evil. And that's the balance that we have to seek in our life between pushing ourselves to do good and restraining ourselves from doing uh, evil. And so everything really that the Muslim does in this life uh, it involves those two motivations. Mm -hmm. Okay, it in involves those motivations, maybe more too, but those two motivations are at the core. And then Allah, after mentioning about believing in the unseen, Allah goes on to mention about establishing the prayers, uh, you know, giving the charity and so on. So, and then when we read throughout the Quran, Allah also mentions about... Uh, uh, in Surah Al-Mu'mineen, the surah that's named after the believers, Surah Al-Mu'mineen or the believers, Allah mentions uh, numerous qualities of the believers in this surah, at the beginning of the surah. And uh, Aisha, anha, the wife of the Prophet, وسلم, also said about this surah, that the one who learns it and implements it the first 10 ayahs of the surah into his daily life will enter paradise. And from the qualities that are mentioned in the surah, the beginning of the surah, one of the qualities that Allah mentions is that they don't involve themselves in lugal. A lugal is a term, as far as I understand, that means any type of indecent talk, uh -huh. that they don't lie. They don't use profanity. They don't, uh, you know, they don't like curse people out and these kind of things. So it revolves around restraining the tongue from uh, saying speech that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. And so these kind of things, when we read the Quran, the Quran itself, it teaches us what the desired behavior is. And so, therefore, uh, in terms of dealing with brothers, trying to help brothers develop, you know, these are some of the main things we like. We need to focus on with ourselves and with our brothers is honesty, truthfulness, uh, watching what you say. And as the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, um, 
He who believes in Allah in the last day should either speak that which is good or remain silent. And also there's a saying from some of the scholars of old that they used to say, uh, if speech is silver, then silence is golden. Gold. Yes, right. Sir. If speech is silver, then silence is golden. And one of the scholars of old used to say that many times I have regretted what I have said, but I have never regretted what I did not say. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, I, and I don't know if this directly really addresses your question or not, maybe indirectly. No, definitely, definitely does address it. Um, mainly uh, the Muslims' uh, character uh, and uh, manners are supposed to be in, um, in the best. Because Allah SWT also mentions that Allah SWT sent the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, to perfect the mannerism of people. Exactly. And, uh, you know, every time that we uh, talk about a Muslim, a Muslim should always be truthful, polite, nice, you know, all these good things. Everything that's good is definitely supposed to be in a Muslim. And everything that is evil is supposed to always be away from a Muslim. And that's uh, what we have talked about a little bit in the past. And uh, we always, you know, will be mentioning things like this, inshallah, today and in the future. And uh, basically, uh, uh, we really are glad to have, uh, alhamdulillah, this discussion with you. And uh, by the way, uh, your website for the thing that you have uh, um, that you have going on right now. Uh, why don't you mention it to the listeners? Maybe somebody might be interested. Uh, maybe uh, somebody might be interested in uh, going online and checking it out. And even if they would like to donate something, maybe. Because uh, it's a it's a cause that's uh, uh, that's good for humanity. Period, not only for uh, specific individuals. Alhamdulillah, we have a uh, modest website that one of my daughters actually put together for us, and uh, the website can be accessed on the internet by uh, small letters H T T P I. And then backslash, backslash. You have to excuse me. My kids always uh, accuse me of being uh, technology challenged. And I, uh-huh. But also, so you can start from the www. You ain't got to start from the HTTP. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then, and then after that, new home, N-E-W, home, H-O-M-E, uh, Islamic, I-S-L-A-M-I-C. Reentry R E E N T R Y dot Webley W E E B L Y dot com. So they can uh, they can uh, visit our site uh, there if they like, and uh, it's all right. Well, I don't know. I'm getting looks here that maybe I messed something up when I uh, conveyed the uh, website here. So the website again is uh, www.newhome.newhome. Islamic I S L A M I C. Okay, now that I can read. Reentry. 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 Okay. New home Islamic reentry dot weebly dot com. 
new home Islamic reentry .weebly.com. And uh, once again, uh, this is your boy Abdullah on uh, 1440 WDRJ, uh, the Islamic waves. Uh, clearing the misconceptions about Islam and bringing you the truth about Islam. And uh, always will be bringing interested and inter interesting people, always will be bringing in interesting people who, were, who will be discussing Islam with us, inshallah, uh, by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from all over, you know, the place uh, we're still, you know, talking to people from America. We're still not going around the globe yet. Inshallah, though, soon we'll be uh, heading that way and bringing people from all over the globe, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed the show. We hope that we hope that you have benefited. And uh, we hope that you will benefit in the future, inshallah. Uh, may Allah uh, bless you by showing you the guidance and have you follow it. I mean, um, uh, if you need uh, to contact us, please uh, go online, www.masjidtawheed.org. That's www.masjidtawheed. www.masjidtawheed dot org leave us an email call us if you don't want to speak to anybody you could just leave us a voicemail um you can also visit us uh, at the facility itself right there on warren ave uh a few blocks west of southfield freeway this is uh your boy abdullah once again and uh from brother kamal uh, have yourself a wonderful day thank you very much and peace.